It says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And Father, we humbly bow our hearts before you right now and and ask that as we continue to worship, you'd help us to hear what you would want to say to us by the voice of your spirit speaking in a personal and direct way into each one of our lives through this text as we study it and look at it together. We thank you for this portion of your word that you've inspired by your spirit. Lord, make it as you promised profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and training in righteousness so that as men and women of God, we can be more thoroughly equipped for every good work that you have for us as we serve you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the word of God. We ask now, prepare us accordingly and bless your word and speak to us by your spirit's ministry. And we thank you for these things together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may have a seat. You know, I wonder perhaps if it's your heart's desire like mine to be able to continually do a better job in regards to reaching the unsaved world through ministry that happens not within the church but outside the walls of the church. I think certainly that we to some degree as Christians can reach the world if maybe somebody who's unsaved attends church with us or maybe we're doing a, a ministry function and somebody attends but predominantly the best way we're going to be able to reach the world is to actually go into the world. Uh, in fact, someone very wise actually said go into all the world. <laughs> and preach the gospel to every living creature didn't say sit there and hope that all the world comes to you Jesus said go into all the world and to preach the gospel literally the Greek is as you are going into all the world well if you have a heart for that I hope you do like I do I would say that it'd be good for us to pay attention to these particular verses because there's some great instruction in regards to how to reach the world outside the walls of the church. Remember the background as we've been coming almost all the way now through the book of Colossians. Paul's done a great deal of teaching about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, telling us who Jesus is. He's explained how through our relationship with Jesus and by his presence dwelling in us, Christ in us, the living presence of the spirit of Jesus dwelling inside us as his children as his servants that that has made us sufficient to live a fruitful Christian life to live a fulfilling Christian life in every area of our personal existence overcoming sin how to do family how to work at our jobs and so forth and Paul now it seems turns his attention as we go into these verses and he's kind of wrapping up the book he turns his attention now to how we can have an impact and an influence outside of the church. And this seems to be his interest at this point, seeking to bring Jesus and his message of salvation to those who are unsaved. How do we reach people who are outside the walls of the church as we're equipped and as we then know the truth and we become strong and fruitful as Christians? How do we do ministry outside the walls 
of the church building. And we'll see as we go through these verses together, particularly a few things that it would be important for us to give our attention to and things that we need to be intentional about if we're going to minister effectively and reach those outside the walls of the church. One of the things we'll see, he mentions in verse 2 very clearly, is that we need to be engaging in regular prayer, both as individuals and as a church. Another thing we'll see in verse 3 is that we need to be seeking opportunities to speak the word. And that when we do speak the word, we need to be clear in our communication so that people actually understand what we're saying. So it's important that we put an emphasis on clarity and communicating spiritual truth. He's going to mention as well there in verse 5, we'll see that we have to live thoughtfully and strategically if we're going to be good witnesses for Jesus. That that's important. And then we'll see as well as we finish up in verse 6 that we have to speak the truth but in a loving way. Because we recognize, he says, how you ought to answer each one, that we are actually giving answers to the most important questions that human beings have in regards to life. And therefore, as we look at these things together, let's remember that. So again, if you're a note taker and you want to kind of see this in an outline way, I think it flows well in this particular passage that we see that one of the things that's very helpful in reaching the unsaved world, doing ministry outside the walls of the church, we see it in verse two, is that first of all, we have to be engaging in regular prayer, engaging in regular prayer. Look what he says with me in verse two. He says, continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Now, it should go without saying, but for sake of simplicity, I think it's important to always make sure that we are clear in regards to what prayer is and what prayer is not. Uh, for us as a Christian, we may understand clearly what prayer is, but what if someone's not a Christian? Or honestly, maybe someone was raised among the church but really never received clear Bible teaching in regards to what prayer really is and what prayer is not. Uh, prayer, understand, is not reciting memorized religious statements to God where we have this memorized list of statements and phrases and if you can just rattle off those phrases to God that if you can utter sort of these spiritual repetitious phrases that that's prayer. And if you repeat it, remember Jesus said not to make vain repetitions when we pray. So prayer is not just reciting religious statements to God. It's sincere communication, listen, with God. It's sincerely communicating with God, talking to God in a heartfelt way with your own thoughts and your own heart desires in that moment as you're talking to him, just like you would talk to any other person you would communicate with, staying connected to God personally through ongoing conversation and not using God as just sort of like a 911 operator when a crisis arises. That's not necessarily what prayer is about. Well, as long as everything is going okay and we can handle it, we can fix it. But on those rare occasions when it's 911, then we got to shoot up a prayer. Everybody pray. It's, it's, it's a crisis now. Look, prayer is more than just using God as a 911 operator. It's maintaining a daily relationship with the living God who loves us and wants to have relationship with each and every one of us wanting his involvement in everyday life, indicating that by continually talking to God and desiring to actually hear what God says. 
This is what prayer is about. Genuinely expressing our praise to God, thanking God for who He is and maybe what He's done or what He's doing in our lives. That's a part of prayer. Stating to God our personal concerns, our individual needs, talking to God about what's going on in your life today or this week or in the season that you're in, the the matters and situations you're facing and asking for God's help to be directly involved in what it is you're facing that day at your job or maybe in your family life right now or with some need that exists in your life. Just being very honest, God, I need your involvement in my life. Lord, we want your help in our family. Lord, we ask that you would work in such a way in our church or in the world among us, requesting God would supply us with wisdom and strength to handle the matters of life. And God desires for us to be engaging in regular prayer paul says continuing earnestly in prayer i I would say in some ways let us never forget prayer is kind of like the oxygen of the spiritual life and you cut off the oxygen you're going to struggle to function and potentially ultimately there's the potential to to die altogether And, and so prayer becomes a fundamental thing in our life and i think paul in verse two speaks of kind of three aspects or qualities of applying these things to our prayer lives and one of the things i think he mentions at the beginning of the verse in regards to prayer is that first of all regarding prayer we should remain dedicated we should remain dedicated certainly prayer shouldn't be this legalistic ritualistic thing where we make these requirements upon ourselves. but that being said lest we fly to an unhealthy extreme there should be a measure of dedication to our prayer life There should be a measure of commitment. He says there, verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer. Two words there. Continue. Don't stop. Keep praying. Continue to pray all the time. And he says continue earnestly. Some translations render that phrase devote yourself to prayer. Others render it give constant attention to prayer. Wiest, who's a Greek scholar, says the language here speaks of giving constant attention and care to a thing, to persevere in something without giving up and to always be in constant readiness to do it. This is the idea here. It speaks of putting diligent effort and exercising commitment into doing something. Not just, you know, giving up on an activity easily or not exercising any level of devotion or dedication to it. And I think in some ways it would be the same way of, almost by way of illustration, it reflects sort of the same way that we put forth maybe some dedication or devotion, let's say, to exercise, to maintain our spiritual health. And if you're going to maintain a level, or excuse me, physical health, maintain a level of physical health, and you want to maintain or develop some physical health, there needs to be a level of dedication to consistent exercise if you want to maintain physical health. Well, in the same way spiritually. If we're going to maintain a level of spiritual health in our lives, there needs to be truly a level of commitment to prayer, a level of of devotion to spending time talking to God. Again, prayer is not just something we should engage in periodically. It is a fundamental component of what it really truly means to have a relationship with God. See, if you just want to be a religious person, and you just want to be religious and have a little bit of religion in your life, there are a lot of people like that. And so if that's what your interest is, then I could see how maybe just, yeah, 
have a periodic prayer at one of those meetings or once in a while if something's going on I just you know what what, what are give me what are those catchphrases I say or, or how can I just you know recite read something out of a book recite a prayer if you just want to be religious I understand that but if you genuinely want to have a relationship with someone you talk to them you want them to talk to you you interact you spend time together and, and the Bible teaches that we're to have a relationship with God God wants a relationship with us so we have to cultivate a lifestyle a spiritual discipline of continuing in prayer it should be a routine part of my daily life Paul says in 1st Thessalonians 5 it's the will of God in Christ Jesus for us to pray without ceasing that is just continuous communication with God ongoing uh, communication with him throughout the day it's almost as if in the morning you, your eyes open in the morning and you, and you dial up the Lord and you just never hang the phone up and you just stay in communication with him all throughout your day your activities I think as well there are times certainly that we should set aside in personal discipline maybe to to truly pray about something yes i want to talk to god all through the day in an informal manner but there should be times as well maybe there's something i need to pray about or something i want to pray for and maybe that i would commit to hey at, at this time i'm going to set aside some time to pray for that and to actually be disciplined about that and to commit time and intercession and not giving up to ask god to work in some situation in luke 18 jesus gave a parable to show that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. It is not lose heart that something can't happen, but to keep praying in perseverance. And certainly as well, participating in times of corporate prayer with other believers. We read the book of Acts in the early church, and you cannot miss the fact that they assembled together regularly to pray. That it was a fundamental function of the early church. It wasn't this program and that social activity. They actually did things like study the word of God and worship. And they devoted themselves to prayer. I love Acts 12. Peter's in prison. It says the church came together and prayed for him. And God set him free. Because the church came together and prayed. So certainly, I think participating in regular times of prayer ourselves, but also gathering with God's people, praying collectively. And I would just say in relation to this, by way of application this morning, what is your dedication level to prayer? What is your commitment level to prayer? Perhaps a time like this, looking at what the Word of God says, an occasion to say, Lord, do I need to repent in this area a little bit? Do, do I need to make an adjustment into my life and put a greater value on something that you asked me to do continuing in, in an earnest way? I think another thing you can see from verse 2, he uses that word vigilant in regards to prayer, is that we should be alert when we pray. Not just engaging in prayer by way of dedication, but he says when you're praying, he says verse 2, being vigilant in it. That's vigilant in your prayer. Now, uh, that word vigilant may not be something we use all the time. Other translations render that being watchful. I like this. It says another translation with an alert mind. That's the idea, really. That captures it well of vigilant. Praying with an alert mind. The idea here is that when we're praying, we have to guard against spiritual drowsiness. Now, I think this is important. Please hear me in this. Sometimes we can become so familiar even for those of us who do pray and like to pray regularly, we can become so familiar sometimes repeating the same familiar things in what we always pray, 
right? What we always ask, maybe we have a prayer list or we just become kind of accustomed to the things we like to pray for. And as a result of that, our communication can start to lack sincerity. And so all of a sudden, yes, we're, we're praying, but we're failing to really give personal attention to what we're saying. And we're really not being meaningful in our communication with God. We're just kind of almost like a rote and routine. We, we can almost be half asleep spiritually and we're in autopilot when we're praying because we're just kind of praying the same thing we always pray for or the same even repetitious you know, statements, the things that we always say. And we can almost kind of like disconnect with our thoughts and just ramble on in prayer saying things that aren't even really meaningful in the moment that we're saying them. They're just the things that maybe we always tend to talk about when we pray and almost kind of rambling with unnecessary words in the presence of God, who's the king of kings. Look, if one of us had the opportunity to approach a powerful dignitary, a king on the throne, I imagine I'd probably be pretty efficient in my words because this is an incredible opportunity here. So I want to be very clear. I don't want to just ramble on and say, time's up, get out. You know, I would want to be very efficient. I want to ask what I mean and mean what I say and be very clear and, and very direct. And God wants our hearts and minds to be fully engaged when we talk to him. I'd say, look, raw, raw, honest communication. God just wants us to be raw and honest in our communication with him. Just say very direct what we're thinking, thoughtful and intentional. That's healthy prayer. Just being very clear in saying to God what we really want to say. And what we really need to say, not trying to polish it up with special words or, or sound more spiritual than what we need to. And I think as well, another way that we need to sort of be alert when we pray is also just being awake spiritually, alert and vigilant to what's happening in the things of the spirit. That is paying attention, staying watchful and vigilant to what God's doing among us or maybe what God's not doing among us. And that we're alert and vigilant. The idea is, is I'm staying sensitive to the spirit of God. I'm vigilant. I'm staying alert and attentive and watchful to what's, what's the spirit of God doing? Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Why? So we can pray in accordance with the will of God. Because when we pray, we're not trying to get our will done. We're trying to pray in a way where our will comes in alignment with God's will. And that we're praying, not our will, but your will be done. And we want to pray in a sensitive, vigilant way in accordance with what's going on and stay alert and aware. And, and I guess one of the ways I could illustrate this is, you know, and I've seen this happen and play itself out. I would give you an example. When we used to uh, pastor in Pennsylvania, I was a police chaplain for a number of years there. And so as police chaplains, we would respond to situations with the police department or we would be dispatched to go to a particular spot. So this is, I guess, a, maybe an exaggerated way to illustrate, but let's say I respond to a situation and there's a crisis. And, and let's say the crisis was, and it was at times, that there was a suicide. So I show up to a house. There were times when I showed up to a house where the family came home, found a suicide victim, and you've got a hysterical mother, and you have kids crying, and everybody's responding differently. And so, of course, at some occasion, when the timing is right, you may, can I pray together with you? Now look, this is a crisis, right? This is a raw, very serious crisis. They do need prayer. Now, if in that moment I start to pray for them and I start praying for the missionaries over in Africa, that God would bless them and help them be fruitful in their evangelism and, and then I start to pray for my 
you know, Uncle Bob who needs to get saved and, 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 and Lord, I pray you just keep the kids safe today in school. And that, listen, those are okay things to pray for, right? I, I'm not doing something wrong. I'm, I'm pray, but I'm not really being vigilant, alert, and awake when I'm really praying there. I, I'm just kind of rambling on and I'm praying. No, again, I'm not trying to diminish, but it's like, is that really spirit-led prayer right now? And I say that because there are times when we pray or when we come together to pray even collectively, I want to encourage you as we seek to pray effectively, pay attention to what you're praying for. The Bible says that there's great value in agreeing together in the name of Jesus. So if you're praying with someone, be vigilant, be alert, pay attention to what you're praying. And, and, and it's important that we watch how we pray. And what we pray for, that we're staying in tune with the Spirit of God as we're, we're having times of prayer, sincerely paying attention to my thoughts and words, not just rambling these long, again, long prayers. And here's this family, they're in the middle of a crisis and five minutes later, I'm still praying. That's not what they need. They need a very direct, clear, straightforward, simple prayer and then love and help and forward with the process. So we want to pay attention to these things, to, to be vigilant and conscious. And then he says as well, when you're praying, make sure you pray with thanksgiving. Again, the idea is with a grateful attitude. And that's an important part of whenever we pray, being thankful to God for who he is and what he's able to do. Thank you, God, that you're listening and, and that, Lord, you have power and ability to work in this situation, even though there's no ability humanly to fix this situation that we can be thankful that God still has power and he can do all things and even taking time with thanksgiving that when we pray to actually thank God not only for maybe what he might do but maybe what he actually has already done probably one of the biggest areas we make a mistake in praying is we ask a whole lot and we forget to say thanks I know I'm very guilty of that you know, the Lord does something wonderful and we're all excited and oh, wow, wow. And, and, and so many times I was I, ne I never stopped and said, Lord, we just want to thank you right now that this has happened. Or, and, and, and so easy, we can fail to do this. So we want to pray with thanksgiving. And as we remain close to God through prayer and in step with him, we become more sensitive to how God wants to work. And as we go on here, the second thing we see that's very helpful to reach those who are unsaved and outside the ministry of the church is, as I said, secondly, seeking opportunity to speak the word of God. If we want to reach the world, then we have to seek opportunities to speak the word of God. Look at verse three and four. He says, meanwhile, as you're continuing in prayer, Paul says, pray also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains, that I may make it manifest or clear or evident as I ought to speak. So notice Paul, who was a pastor, a church planner, serving together with a ministry team, we see Paul many times requested prayer support for himself. He understood this was vital to fruitful ministry. And at this time, Paul was currently in prison for faithfully preaching the word of God. Do you see what he says there in verse three? He says, it's for speaking the mystery and revelation of Christ for which, for that, that's why I'm in chains right now. There were numerous times in Paul's life where as he spoke the word of God and talking about the salvation of Jesus Christ, that it resulted in him being imprisoned. 
And here he says, for speaking the mystery of Christ. Now, we've already talked in depth before what that statement means, the mystery of Christ. It's basically a reference to something that was once not seen, but now has been revealed and made clear. Not mysterious, but something once hidden that is now very obvious and evident to be able to see. And as Paul was preaching about the truths of Christ and sharing the gospel, He's incarcerated at this time, but notice as he asked the church of Colossae to pray for him, notice what Paul's foremost concern is. Very different than how I would probably be in my selfishness if I asked for prayer. Paul does not say, hey, pray for me that God would open the doors of the prison cell and get me out of here. I'm in chains, man. I don't want to be in prison. This is miserable conditions. This is not where I want to be in my life right now. Notice Paul doesn't ask for them to pray for an open door to release him from his circumstances. I'm sure if that was the Lord's will, he'd appreciate that. Paul, look at it there in verse 3. His greatest desire is that wherever God stationed him, he would be an effective servant for Christ. He says, while I'm here, pray that God would open a door for me to be able to speak the word of God to the guards and to the prisoners and to the people that are around me, even being stuck in a place he didn't desire to be, chained to unpleasant circumstances, Paul's first interest was, all I care about is I hope I can be as useful to the Lord as possible right where he has me right now. And look, even though I'm chained to a situation I wish I was not chained and stuck in, even though I'm in a circumstance that is not my preference and I'd like to be set free from it, if this is where the Lord has put me, then pray that he'd open doors and use me to the greatest degree right where I am. So he says, pray that where I am, the Lord would open a door to us, he says, to speak the word to speak about Christ. He's saying, ask God to open up doors of opportunity where we are spiritually. He's saying, pray for me if you would. Ask that God would give us a chance to talk to Jesus about people. That he would open people's hearts to become receptive. And that he would open up doorways of opportunity as I dialogue with people in my sphere of influence to be able to share with them about Jesus to proclaim the gospel message to them, to speak God's word, ask for doorways to present the truth. He understood the great value of God opening doors. And there's a big difference between us and our humanity and our flesh trying to kick down the door of someone's heart in a forceful, unsensitive, or maybe overzealous, obnoxious way and God truly opening up a door, right? Where you can tell there's, this is a divine appointment here. This person's heart and mind is open and they're receptive. And, and, and you, you can tell there's a vast difference when God opens a door, when God gives a platform or an opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus, or when God opens up a door circumstantially to have a chance to teach the word of God in a location or to, or to preach the gospel. God has a way of opening doors at times that are incredible. 2 Corinthians 2.12, Paul says, When I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. That's what Paul says. Pray for that. Pray for more of that. What a great way to pray for those who are serving in ministry, to pray for those who are missionaries, to pray for pastors, to pray for ministry teams, and, and to pray for one another. As the Bible says, we're all ministers of the new covenant. That as we go into our jobs and our families and our neighborhoods to pray, Lord, Open a door to speak the word of God. 
open doors to be able to share the gospel. We need to pray because only God can grant us opportunities that are going to be windows that are divinely effective that allow things to pass through them for the kingdom of God's sake. That's why we ask you to pray for us. Pray that way. Use that example for us, for our church. Pray. Pray that God would open doors to speak the word, to share about Christ. And thirdly, as well, we see in verse 4, Paul also says another thing that was important as you're praying. He says a third thing helpful to reach the unsaved world is clarity in communicating so people understand. Clarity in communicating that people understand. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, pray that when I speak, that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. One translation says, pray that I might make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. So Paul says, yes, pray for an opportunity, but pray I don't blow it. <laughs> he says, when God gives us an opportunity and he gives me an opportunity to speak, he says, pray that I'm clear in my communication so people understand. He's asking them to pray that God would give divine enablement and that the Holy Spirit would direct his words as he was communicating with people, whether individually in conversation or preaching and teaching publicly. I think this is great wisdom. He's saying, ask God to help me in my communication, that I would use the right words when I speak, that I would say what's best, nothing more and nothing less in the time that I have to communicate, that I'd be sound, Paul says, pray that I'd, I'd speak as I ought to speak. And I think Paul's pray that I'd be sound in my doctrine. Pray that I would rightly divide the word of truth and that I would be a faithful steward. And he's saying, ask that God would help me to explain spiritual truth in an understandable way, in a way that is clear and, and, and digestible for people so that as they're listening, they can grasp it and they can actually digest it and, and be enlightened and helped by it because it's easy to understand. Paul didn't want to get in the way of what God's spirit was trying to say to people through him as a human messenger. God help us all to have that heart. God wants to speak through you. God wants to speak through us and use us. He doesn't have to. I mean, he could send angels throughout the world proclaiming the everlasting gospel, but God's chosen to use us to speak to other human souls. But we don't want to be in the way when God's trying to speak through us and we want to be faithful stewards to share the truths of the gospel to share the word of God with people if we have an opportunity to teach or, or counsel someone. And Paul says, pray. I, I don't want to complicate spiritual truth. I don't want to make it difficult for people to grab hold of what I'm saying because maybe I'm speaking on a level that they can't quite uh, you know, understand or I'm applying it in the wrong way. And he didn't want to hold back from saying, I think as well, what he was supposed to share. He wanted to share honestly and openly and, and not be fearful and speak as he ought to speak. And I think Paul as well didn't want to leave people with questions. I think he wanted to give people answers. You know, there have been times before I've listened to Bible studies and I've thought, man, I have more questions than I have answers now. <laughs> uh, we want to give people answers. We want to answer their questions, not leave them questioning to a deeper degree. We want to share and speak in a way that, that we ought to speak with the right attitude with a loving heart and in a way that people aren't turned off, but they actually are inquisitive because we're speaking under the influence of the Spirit of God in a way that's clear and God's communicating to the hearts and souls of people. I like this. Paul's heart was not just interested in an opportunity to speak. God help us. 
to have more Christians, more people in ministry that, that aren't just looking for an opportunity to speak, to be heard, but that they actually have a heart for people to understand and to actually hear a word from the Lord and to have something imparted that's helpful for them in relation to the word of God. And what a great way, again, to pray. Yes, pray for open doors, pray for opportunity, but pray as well that the communication of God's word would be clear and that people would understand it. Because if people understand what they're hearing, they have the best possible chance not to be deceived, but to be able to respond to what they can clearly hear that God is saying to them in their hearts. So great way for us to pray as we pray one for another. Another thing we see here in verse 5 that's very helpful, again, in regards to ministering outside the walls of the church, I think verse 5 references living thoughtfully, or we could say living strategically as a witness for Christ. Look what Paul turns his attention to now. He says, verse 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. So he says, look, we're to be witnesses for Christ in how we live, not just our words. So he says, live thoughtfully, live strategically. Whenever the Bible uses the word walk, it's a metaphor for how we live our lives, our lifestyle, or our pattern of living. And the Bible's instructing here, regarding verse 5 how we are to live look at it there regarding those who are he says outside key word those who are outside uh, the idea there is those who are outside the church family those who are outside of the family of god still living among the world if you would outside of a relationship with jesus christ how we live among those who are outside of a relationship with Christ and outside of the church. No, please take notice of this. God's word is very clear in drawing a distinction between two categories of people. As human beings, we like to categorize people in way too many ways. And that's because we're sinful, selfish, hypercritical, and, and racial to too many degrees. God quantifies very clearly in his estimation there are two categories of people. There are those who are outside of the family of God and outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ and there are those who are within the family of God and within a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's God's evaluation of humanity. One of two categories. People are inside of the family of God in a relationship with Jesus or sadly people are outside of the family of God and not yet God's children and listen we must come to terms with that spiritual reality and that biblical teaching 1 John 3 speaks of the need for everyone to be born of God and it says this in this reality the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed listen that's not intended to be in any way offensive speech from God's perspective. That is intended for us to see that God is using clarity to the strongest degree that he can. To say there are only one of two conditions people can be in. Everyone starts out spiritually outside the family of God due to our sinfulness. That's where we all start. And it is only when we recognize our own sinfulness and we realize Jesus died on the cross for our sins to be the Savior and we come to Jesus in believing faith that we are sinful and don't deserve to be in heaven with God because of our own mistakes and failures and that, that hell 
is real and that heaven is real and that the only way to have access into heaven is to have Jesus who died for our sins forgive us and cleanse us of our sins and that Jesus would give to us the eternal life that he possesses as the one and only son of God and when we come to Jesus in this way by faith and receive him the Bible says to as many as receive Jesus he gives the right privilege opportunity to become children of God this is so important again Jesus said I am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved John 14 Jesus says I am the way and no one comes to the father except through me listen that is the determining factor of the condition of every person's spiritual life have they come to God through the doorway of his son Jesus Christ Jesus said I'm the door I am the door. There's only one door. He says, I am the door. Whoever enters by me. He doesn't say whoever enters by church attendance, enters by trying to, to get more religious, enters by reading the Bible more, enters by, you know, he says, whoever enters by me, Jesus, only Jesus can save. Jesus says, I'm the way. That's the only way. And for those of us, listen, who have become followers of Jesus and by the mercy and grace of God have gone from being outside to now being inside, it is very important for us that we have a right perspective towards those who are still outside of God's family and that we don't look at those who are still outside where we once were with an attitude that's just irritated by them and disgusted by them and look at them as you're just evil people who are ruining the world, but rather that we would see unsafe people outside with a view of concern and compassion and that they are people who God wants to bring inside and bring them into his family Jesus told a beautiful story in regards to the heart of God on this let me just read it to you listen to Jesus' statements he says a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited come all things are now ready but they all with one accord began to make excuses the first said, oh, I bought a new piece of ground and must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, well, I've married and have a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. The master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind and the servant said master it's been done as you commanded and still there is room and the master said go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled that's the heart of God compel them to come in that my house may be filled the house of God, the family of God. God always wants for more children to come into his family and it's only through Christ as we go out into the world. So because of this reality of who we are as his children, he says in verse five, therefore don't be foolish and careless in how you live among the outside world. He says there, look at it, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. The idea is that we as Christians and as God's children are his representatives. We actually have to be purposeful and thoughtful in regards to how we live among unsafe people. 
We really should not be careless and thoughtless. We should actually be intentional in what things you choose to do or what things maybe you choose not to do because you realize you're among people who are paying attention. They're trying to figure out maybe is this true or isn't it? And we have to understand spiritually their perspective and use thoughtfulness in your conversations. When you're among people, look, these people aren't yet set. So I need to be careful in what I maybe say or don't say in conversation. I need to be strategic. Sometimes maybe I need to refrain from saying something that maybe I could say with believers, but maybe I just shouldn't say that among these individuals because they're not saved. And, and that I would be careful and conscious of the fact that even with some of my Christian liberties and the liberties that we have as Christians, sometimes oh, it's, it's my right. It's my well, listen, I understand maybe that is. But is your right in the indulgence of your right worth stumbling someone who would say, oh, see, them, you're a Christian. That's not, you're not a real Christian. Yeah, that's all fake because, look, you do what I do. And again, maybe it's an area that we have liberty to do something, but maybe it's something from their perspective that they'd see as questionable. And maybe at times it's wise to say, you know what? I don't know if I should do that when I'm in public. Or I don't know if I should do that in front of unsaved people because if they get stumbled or confused and they don't understand everything I do where I'm at right now, that might keep them from wanting to come to the Lord. And that we care about people's souls enough to pay attention. That's why Paul says here, do this, verse 5, redeeming the time. The idea is time's running out. Redeem the time. The language is buy up the opportunity any opportunity you can find despite what it costs you. Don't pass up opportune moments. He says, redeem them. We have to redeem the time. There are opportune moments that are set before us. He's saying, redeem these windows because the time may not last much longer that you have access to those people. Maybe God has you somewhere for a season and right now you have influence on those people in your life. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's co-workers. Maybe it's where you live. And, and the Lord's saying, look, you may not always be around those people. So redeem the time. Because right now you have access. Right now you have opportunity to be an influence. Proverbs 11.30 says, he who wins souls is wise. So Paul says, be strategic. Be thoughtful. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeem the time. And then lastly, he says in verse 6, and let your speech, what you do say, always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I think the final thing Paul mentions here in regards to reaching the unsaved outside the walls of the church is, as I said earlier, speaking the truth, but in love. Speaking the truth, but in love and because we realize we are answering people's spiritual questions and some of the most important questions. When we open our mouth to speak, what we say and how we say it is important. Look what he says there. Let your speech, when you do talk, always be with grace. Or you might say always be gracious. I think that applies certainly in two ways. First of all, the manner and the attitude in which we speak. That it should be gracious our disposition, our, our attitude, our, our temperament, that, listen, that we're not condescending, that we're not spiritual snobs, that we're not self-righteous and disgusted with people or, or, or maybe critical or, or just cold and harsh and just kind of a, you know, I mean, it, it, uh, kind of like a porcupine personality, right? You meet someone like that before? 
A porcupine may have a few good points, but I wouldn't want to hug one. I said, well, I got a few good points. Well, great, but the first one just poked me in the eye and I don't want to hear anything else you have to say now. We don't want to be like that. We want to be gracious and loving with compassion when we address people in our disposition and as well, not just our attitude, but the words we use, that they would be gracious words. That yes, we would speak the truth, but pay attention to how we say it. Maybe be selective and purposeful in our wording. We don't want to tear people down, but edify and build them up and convey truths in a kind way, in a way that's palatable and gracious and sensitive. And grace also carries the idea of just having favor in our speech. When the grace of God was upon a person, the favor of God was upon a person. And so I think this conveys the idea too of, of speaking in a way with grace that is speaking in a way that's pleasing and helpful where the grace of God is upon our words and our communication. The anointing of the Spirit is upon what we're saying, a timely word. And so therefore it's helpful and enlightening. But in balance with being gracious, he says also, there must be a clear presentation of the truth because he says there that our words also should be seasoned with salt. And here's the balance. Again, seasoned with salt means that our words should actually be appetizing in a way that they cause people to desire to want to hear more rather than to shut off. When you season a food with salt, you make that food more enjoyable to partake of, right? Then you desire more and salt creates a thirst. And this is the idea that our words would be seasoned with salt, that we'd speak in a way that we actually cause people to thirst to want to hear a little bit more. That we speak in a way that people actually are maybe enjoying and feeling enlightened by what we're saying. And instead of shutting down, they open up. And they're actually interested in wanting to hear more of the truth and, and that there, our words are helpful to them. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And, and notice as Paul wraps up the end of verse 6, he says, Look, what we say and how we say it is important. The reason why? Because ultimately we are supplying answers to life's most important questions. He says that you might know how to answer each one. I think the idea there is that we might have the right timely words and answers for each individual person we're talking to. Because look, the truth of the matter is this, ladies and gentlemen, we should not have just canned responses for people. We shouldn't just have generic answers, if you would, but truly try and be sensitive in the love and compassion of the Lord to know how we ought to answer each one. Because the reality is there are certain ways we ought to answer each different person maybe that God allows us to speak with. And that they can tell we're not just coming at them you know, with the gospel gun and the boom, 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 and they can just, man, that, used, that was planned and canned and people see that. But instead, that we're actually paying attention, where's this person at in life? Where are they at in God's process? Where are they at in the journey? What's, what's their temperament and their nature? You know, can I speak to them maybe in this more direct way or, or, or would they be easily offended? And we're actually trying to be sensitive and discerning to who it is and how we're talking because maybe the situation or background, it might be best to answer them in a certain way that would be a lot more efficient and cause them to be open to hear what I'm trying to say. And let me just say as well, I think that same thing applies even in how we convey the biblical gospel message. 
I encourage you, look at John 3 and then John 4. Not now, but, but read it and take notice that when Jesus shares about eternal life, when he speaks to a religious man who was very righteous in his outward performance, very religious, but he didn't have a genuine relationship with God, Jesus says, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. He tells him he needs to be born again spiritually. He then talks to a woman in the world who's pagan, very immoral, had five husbands, was living up from the man, and, and she's a very out-in-the-world woman, and Jesus doesn't say to her, you must be born again. Wait, Jesus, the only Christians are born-again Christians. Don't you know that? Why didn't you say born again? Because he knew what was going on in her life that what she needed to hear was, I tell you, if you drink of this water from this well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give, the living water, you'll never thirst again. And her heart opened like a flower. Because he spoke to her in the language that she... listen. You can say the truth without having to say it in a... I'm not saying don't teach what the Word of God says, don't use Scripture verses. What I'm saying is don't get caught up in semantics. Share the gospel. Share the love of God, the truth of God with people, but pay attention to who you're conveying it to and you may find that it can be way more fruitful in the end. Let's stand, let's pray together.